0: Let's think, is it necessary what I'm going to say? Is it communication and words that are going to bring closeness, or is it words that's going to bring us further apart? Is it going to bring connection or division? Have I listened? Have I understood the other? You are listening to the JP Show,
1: where we discuss the issues you care about from a Jewish
0: perspective. I am Rabbi G. I am Rabbi Levy. And we hope you enjoy this episode. hi this is rabbi g and here's my opening message for today so the last two weeks we talked about marriage commitment and then last week we talked about how to make it the right one how do we know it's the right one let's make it the right one um, through practicing respect through effective communication through working and investing in the relationship so here's the question for today so let's talk about communication what does effective communication look like what is respectful communication look like what does that mean What's the difference between effective and ineffective communication, or respectful or disrespectful communication? So I want to share with you an idea, a sort of a philosophical idea, but it really goes to the heart of what speaking is. We know that the power of communication is tremendous. In fact, in Jewish tradition, we have in our sources that the world is divided into four parts. The domem, the inanimate, the silent, cre- silent creations like stones, minerals, rocks, mountains, and so on. Sameach, the things that grow, vegetation, grass, fruit, flowers. Chai, the animal kingdom. And Midaber. Now Midaber is a reference to the human being, but the term used is Midaber, the speaker, the communicator. In other words, what this teaches us is something quite profound. And is that the essence and the definition of the human being is the power to communicate. But here's the question. Don't animals communicate too? Don't we know that there's sharing of information that exists between animals that we perhaps scientifically are more aware of today than we were previous generations? Although it does even tell us in the Talmud that King Solomon, the wisest of all men, understood the communication of animals. So what is? What is human communication that's so different? And why is that specifically the uniqueness of being human? And To be brief, here's the crux of the whole matter. The purpose of a human being, the ability of the human being, the uniqueness of a human being, is the ability, which no other creation has, to go beyond oneself, to exit one's world, to connect to the world of another. Even angels, we are taught, are created with a certain personality, with a certain definition, with certain properties, as is every other creation in the world. That are defined and bound by those properties. Not necessarily bad or good. They can be very good. Angels are very holy. But angels have a personality which they are locked into. Because that's the way they created. it. It is only the human being with a divine soul. That has the ability to go beyond our own world. Of course we have a personality. And of course we have limitations being human and physical and so on. But we actually have an ability to go beyond ourselves. And to connect to the world of another. Now, every human being is different. Every human being thinks and feels differently, as the Talmud tells us. However, we have the ability to connect to a completely different world than ours. And how do we do it? What's the essence of that? Communication. By communicating, we exit our world and we connect to the world of another. But this explains how fundamentally different the communication of human being is to that of animals. So let's just explore this for a moment. Animals communicate, but really what that means is animals send signals, which means an animal might emit and broadcast a signal that it's afraid, a signal that it's afraid, it's going to attack, that it's hungry, and another animal in the vicinity will pick it up and respond accordingly. But when an animal communicates, it's broadcasting a signal from its own being; it's a broadcast of self. Human communication, on the other hand, or what human communication should look like is we're not broadcasting ourselves, we are leaving ourselves and talking to the world of another person. We're entering the world of another person, we're talking so that they should understand, we know what we're saying, we're creating connections. Now, unfortunately, many human beings talk like animals, which means we signal broadcast. You can tell us sometimes when you go to a function and someone gets up to speak and keeps talking and no one's listening. And they're not reading the audience, because they're just broadcasting the signal of self. But that's not what it's supposed to be. Human communication is, and particularly in relationships, is the ability to not just broadcast self, it's the ability to think before we speak, to understand what we're going to say. Is it going to bring connection? Is it going to enter the world of another person? Are we going to bring closer to complete opposite, or perhaps very, very different worlds? And again, this is of course a long discussion, but for the purpose of brevity it requires a few things it requires us to to listen, to understand the world of another not to agree, just to understand the world of another, and then it requires thinking, it requires planning and timing because if someone says something to us for example and we blow up, that's signal sending, I'm just broadcasting what I feel, does that create connection? On the contrary, it creates division but if I speak like a human being, I'm going to think first of what's the best time to bring this up How am I speaking in a way that's going to be understood by the other? Before I talk to them, do I understand their world? Do I understand their perspective? Maybe there's something I can learn from their perspective. Maybe something I can appreciate more from their perspective. So therefore, human communication means and this is perhaps the foundation of it all. If we just take this point away, maybe that's, that's all we need. Every time we talk especially if it's a serious conversation let's think first. Let's think is it necessary what I'm going to say? Is it Communication and words that are going to bring closeness or is it words that's going to bring us further apart? Is it going to bring connection or division? Have I listened? Have I understood the other? And are my words respectful because if they're putting the other person down. They're certainly not bringing connection. They're just signal sending. I'm getting it off my chest. I'm letting off steam. I'm sending a signal of self. But if I think first and I say it respectfully, valuing the other person, respecting the other person, That's human communication. Human communication brings us closer together. That's my opening thoughts, and I think this is going to make for an exciting discussion. Okay, Rabbi Levy, how are you?
1: Doing well. Thank God, there's a lot happening in Bina now. It's a very, very hectic month, preparing for Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, a lot of learning, a lot of programs. How's your stress level? Very high. I actually, uh, funny story, I went to the doctor for something, uh, totally, un, you know, un, I, mean, I think I'm fine. I uh, had a little bit of a persistent cough, and uh, you know, the doctor's like a general checkup, and he took, he took my pulse, <laughs> and he said, so, you know, your pulse is a little high. And I was like, yeah, you know, that makes sense, I'm a little stressed. He said, yeah, that, that's, that's fine, stress is probably, there were no other symptoms, so he wasn't worried.
0: Yeah, I could, have, uh, I could have diagnosed that too. Anyway, it's going <laughs> mean, to be an amazing couple of weeks, so let's just calm down, be present. Absolutely. And now let's focus on our topic.
1: So, communication. So, you, you spoke about the idea of communication as really leaving your world and going to another's world. So, I was actually giving a, a shiur last night um, where this idea came up not so not only in communication, but even in behavior. And I'll tell you what I I would love to hear your thoughts about it. And, and I drew inspiration from our relationship with God, which, as we know, the Jewish people and God are like married. That's the, one of the analogies given as a, as a sort of a married couple, so to speak. Um, and the idea was, I was emphasizing how Judaism is really primarily a religion of action. Although, of course, we have feelings, and we have the idea of loving God, and fearing God, and having an emotional relationship, but most, the majority of the 613 mitzvot are behavioral. And uh, we were speaking about how the focus is mostly on the action, how you do it, when you do it, more details. And uh, I came up with this idea that Judaism is not about feeling close to God, it's about being close to God. Meaning... Sometimes we do things that make us feel close to God, but is that really what God wants from us? Not necessarily. And uh, I was only it was with two single guys, actually, but I just wanted to give them an analogy to so say, you know, please, God, soon you'll, you'll find out that the, the idea of marriage, that many times we tend to do things that make us feel close to our spouse. But the question is, is that what our spouse actually really wants from us? Is this actually making us closer? Um, you know, sometimes you can do things that make me feel very good and very close, that's actually not what they wanted at that particular moment. And therefore, actually, it created distance and actually created closeness. I think our relationship with God is the same way. I mean, we always talk about this. Like, many times in Judaism, there are things that actually, I, I, I can do them a different way. I mean, there are many examples of this that will make me feel more inspired. And I mean, for example, right, the music is is, is is forbidden on Shabbat, right? In theory, maybe it will be more inspiring to have a service with a guitar and a piano, and that maybe make us feel closer to God, but that's not what God wants. at That particular moment, so therefore, actually it will make us feel more. Dis- it will actually make us more distant.
0: It's a great thought, and a bunch of thoughts are coming into my head as you're saying that. Yeah. Uh, let me try to remember them very briefly. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, first of all, I've been asked this question before: Can you be spiritual without believing in God? Right. And whenever someone asks me that question, they expect me to almost faint and like, no, of course not. So I said, yeah, of course you could, you could be spiritual without believing in God. And then they almost, you know, they get very surprised and they won't understand what I mean. Yes. So I said, spirituality is just another form of self. Some of you feel spiritual, it's about you. Now, we should be spiritual, and spiritual is a very important part of Judaism, and that's why feeling close to God is an important component, right. but it's not the purpose. I said, you can feel, you can be spiritual, but you can't be godly. And godly means that we are able to rise above ourselves to something totally different, something much more infinite than ourselves, right? Um... The other thing in terms of relationships that comes to mind is is uh, this point that are you thinking about yourself or are you thinking about the other person and that happens even in action sometimes. But that's mindset. So mindset, what's this relationship about, right? So for sure it expresses itself in communication, but even in action, so for example, I've given this example many times, like you know, people end up in hospitals, so you go visit them, right? Mm. Now that's a beautiful thing. It's a mitzvah. In fact, it's one of the mitzvah we are given to visit the sick. Do you know if that person wants visitors? Do you know if they're tired and it would be just good to show like a quick 60-second visit to show that you just care? Or do you want to do something that's going to make you feel good so you can land up there, talk incessantly for an hour and a half. The person is very polite and really is exhausted and just can't wait for you to leave.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, uh, co- comforting people after, after in shiva, Same similar the idea. Some people just sit there for three hours talking and they don't realize it's not what the person wanted to do right now. Or maybe it is. You just have to know have to be able to really connect to another person in the world to actually properly ascertain that.
0: So it's interesting, the balance, because feeling is important. For example, just going back to God. So we have mitzvot in the Torah, which have a reason. and mitzvot don't have a reason. We've spoken about this before. And they're both important. Because the ones that have a reason is because God wants us to be there. He doesn't want us to be robots. He wants us to be in the relationship. Yeah. So you see, when you're in a relationship, there's two things there. You have to be fully present in the relationship. And for that, you do have to feel. Yeah. But you have to be in a relationship, not a relationship with yourself, but a relationship with someone else. Mm. So you have to be in a relationship with someone else, yeah. which means you have to love, you have to feel, you have to get excited, which in in a, in a godly sense comes from the mitzvot that we understand and we relate to. But it's about in a relationship, a relationship with someone or something else. Yeah, and therefore that's why when the actions come up. with actions is obedience, surrender, doing. You know, I'll give you another sort of way to put it. Like in Judaism, we have learning Torah and keeping mitzvah. Learning Torah is more about the feeling; like we understand it, we internalize it. Mm-hmm. It gets really—it's almost like you know—we we we get it, we relate it. It's, it's you know, sometimes it's hard getting to the class, but once you're there, it's like enjoyable, right? Mitzvah is more about surrender; it's more about yeah, because you're doing what the other person wants, or you're doing what God wants. And in a marriage, it's exactly the same thing. Um, you do need to feel, but 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 like but like you say, it's about knowing what the other person wants and. That sometimes comes some communication about finding out, Yeah. right? Do you, do
1: you think there's, there's a purpose in trying to develop a feeling for things that you don't have a feeling for? So I'll give you an example. I mean, I'll give you an example that, I, that at least I can relate to. Um, going shopping, for me, I mean, I can't talk for all men. I, 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 for many men, I'm not going to generalize here, but I think it's a, it is a men-women thing. It's not the most enjoyable part of my life. Sometimes you have to do it, you have to do it. Um, my wife likes shopping, right? And this, this seems to be almost like shopping is actually not a means to an end to actually buy something. It seems to be like the experience itself. Something which is absolutely, totally beyond me and I cannot understand, right? So, is there an objective in life to try and develop a feeling for something that you don't enjoy because the other person enjoys it? Or should you just say, you know what, you have things you enjoy, I have things I enjoy. Sometimes you just have to do things alone and that's fine. I
0: thought, <laughs> I thought you would give a different example. <laughs> My example is like, you know, my definition of a clean kitchen is somewhat different to my wife's uh, definition of a clean kitchen.
1: Well, that's a little bit different because there you both live in the same kitchen. So, words, the end result, you have to make sure to make Yeah, make your but wife the question happy. Is, Here, she she's not shopping myself, I don't have to go with her. Yeah,
0: but the question is, do I have to always wash up the cup? Do I have to enjoy washing up the cup right away when I'm finished or is it okay if it leaves there for a few right. hours? Right. Which the answer is, no, I've got to wash it up now. Right. Um, do, I, do I just do that because I have to or okay. do I enjoy it? Right. So, and some of the sort of – each one yeah. has their examples, I guess, right? But I think – I think the answer is this. I don't think you have to enjoy something that you intrinsically don't enjoy, but you have to enjoy doing something because the other person enjoys it. Right. The enjoyment has a different source. In other words, I'm doing something I talk th- like, about. Because if you go shopping, to use your example, and like it's pretty obvious, I'm, I'm not myself, and it's also a bit like that, right? It's pretty obvious that you are being dragged there and like by by force and you can't wait to get out of there. And come on, when is this finishing already? And you're impatient and you're irritable then you haven't done anything for your wife, you might as well, start, you might as well stay home. Right. So, I guess it's doing something that for you is maybe pointless, but but you're happy to do it. Why are you happy to do it? Not because you understand it, not because you enjoy it. But you enjoy doing something that makes someone else happy. Right.
1: So, you know, sort of like you said about our, our, our relationship with God, probably every relationship needs to have a bit of both things. Like it, it, There needs to be experiences that you share that you actually both enjoy the actual experience then there has to be times that you actually just to do something because the other person wants it, and that itself you can enjoy because you're yeah. doing it because the other person wants it.
0: So in Judaism, that's right, we have this idea called, in fact, it's a very big theme around Rosh Hashanah, it's, it's called surrender to God's will, Kabbalat Hamalchud, like accepting God as our, as our king, yeah. which means we surrender to his sovereignty, right? But in many sources, it talks about that it not doesn't have to be a drag, it could be you do that and actually you're happy to do that, because yeah. you're happy to connect to something higher than yourself, even though some of the things you're not going to understand, like... I don't know, like, you know, I mean, I think waving plants around in different directions on Sakot is, maybe not everything, not everyone relates to that, you know, or or sitting in a booth, or even doing other things which are really, not everyone can relate to it, but you can learn about it, you can try to internalize it as much as possible, but you can also just enjoy it because I'm connecting. Right.
1: What do you do when one spouse is willing to communicate and do the work another one isn't? I'm sure you've come across this before. So, like, is there any... Is there any point in doing work yourself if the other person is just not working on the marriage?
0: I think so because – yeah, and that's a tough question that and that's the question everyone always asks. And I'm it? not
1: talking about if the other person's abusive now. I'm talking about just the other person just not invested.
0: So I think there's two answers to that which do, it not always the answer and that's, that's a problem. But very often we do see that if one puts in the work respectfully and really does it, it becomes contagious. It does, it does bring a response. It brings like a mirror response sort of thing. Number one. And number two, if that really happens over a period of time, we come back to communication. Sometimes we have to have hard conversations. Sometimes we have to be respectful and have a conversation where we say, look, I think I'm sensing, and maybe it's my mistake, but I'm sensing that I'm doing all the work here. And let's talk about it so we can understand each other better and understand each other's expectations or needs or or, or, or wherever it is. But ultimately, it has to be a two-way street. It doesn't have to be like exactly fifty-fifty. It's not a it's not a scorekeeping job here, but it is something that both people have to be invested in to be a really flourishing and effective relationship.
1: Yeah, amazing. Um, I have read these things talking about communication. I want to hear your thoughts about it because these, for some reason, makes me a little bit doesn't sit so well with me. These like specific formulas of like how to communicate, like. The person says something to you, and you have to like answer them back. I hear what you're saying, and like sort of this almost like a scripted play that you have to go to. Like, what, what are your thoughts about these type of things? You know, you know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah, of course, like, like there's like, the principles, and there's like almost like you have to follow like a script, and like, so there
0: are. There's like, I think I forgot what they call it, I think it's called the embargo method or something, yeah. and, and all these different types of ways of doing it. They have their place, I think, and normally they have their place when things are going wrong. So you have to go to someone else, and they help you out, and they give you tools. So it might be when you need to repair broken communication that some of these scripts do work. But I think you're right. I think it's not a script. It's it's, it's a natural, It should be natural, and each one does it in their own way. Yeah. Uh, just people do it in their own way. I mean, they might it, people communicate in different ways, and respect even expresses itself in different ways, and, and different conflict resolution can express itself in different ways, and people have to do what's what's right, but in, in what's right for them. But it, in, in all cases, it's gonna it's gonna come down to this one point about connecting, communi- connect communication of connection rather than communication of division. Right. Um. How you work that out, you know, that it should be that way, that's, I think, varies. And you're right, I don't think a formula has become, comes a bit static and it's not really real anymore. But it's needed sometimes.
1: Right. So this is going to be our last one on marriage, at least for now. It may in the future do it again. But I um, just want to ask you an interesting question because we always like to talk about this. Can you give me a thought? What is one thing that the older generation, could learn from the younger generation in terms of relationships and what is one thing that the younger generation can learn from the older generation in terms of relationships? Cool. Or is there nothing that the older
0: generation can learn from the yeah, young cool. I think there is, not in extreme ways, but I think the older generation can certainly learn a bit more communication from the younger generation, meaning not to suppress everything because suppressing everything is not, is not always good. And we know, like sometimes you just have to express stuff and you have to have conversations. Um, and I think that's something the that older generation certainly learned from the younger one. However, it goes both ways. What the younger generation can learn from the older generation is that not everything has to become a whole big deal. Not everything has to be expressed. Not everything is about ourselves. And not everything you've got to be vulnerable about. And, you know, just because something's small. Sometimes the small stuff, just get on with it. Like, it's fine. You know what I mean? Life ups ups and downs. People aren't the same. Sometimes you're irritated by something. Let go. Let go and move on. You commit it. You commit it, you make it work. Don't make a whole big deal out of silly things. I mean, I'm sure there's many more on both sides, but that's something that comes to mind.
1: Brilliant. All right, everyone. We'll be back here next
0: week. Very good. Have a good day, everyone.
1: Thank you for listening to The JP Show.
0: For questions, comments, and feedback, please email Rabbi G at binna.com.au. See you next time.